Well, good morning, everybody. It's episode one of the Joe Moran show. Uh, very excited to be here today. Um, <laughs> I'd like to introduce some sponsors, but don't have any. Again, just episode one, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, very excited about the podcast and being able to go on this journey with you all. Um, you know, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while and you know trying to find something that's you know interesting to talk about um but here we are we're gonna we're gonna um get off zero we're gonna make a move and we're gonna see where this see where this goes but uh really excited to be here really excited to start the conversation start the dialogue um you know this podcast is going to be focused on really a couple core themes uh, one will be decentralization, uh, how the internet, you know, really started with the internet back in um, the early, let's call it early 90s. Um, You know, that was really step one on this long journey to decentralization. Um, You know, we're heading there, right? We don't, we don't need the same resources. We don't have the same patterns. Um, the way that we used to conduct business, the way that we used to live our lives has all changed because of the internet. So, you know, we are moving away from centralized institutions and the catalyst, you know, was the internet. Um, make no mistake about it, COVID-19 has, has changed this course and accelerated this course, but we were already headed in this direction. So decentralization and, and why, um, that's important and how it's going to impact us going forward is going to be a core core theme of this show um, as well as the impact of um, technological rate of change on institutions um, whether it's politics business strategy um, economic uh, economic impact and, and the thing that I'm most interested in right now is currency valuation. Um, I think all of these um, issues that we're seeing um, from a macro perspective are ultimately going to influence uh, currencies and, and our ability to transact with one another. And you know what that looks like five, ten years from now. I think is going to be different than what it looks like today. So those are kind of the core core themes um, with a heavy focus, like I said, on currency valuation. Um, since I believe that that's really the intersection of technological rate of change as well as decentralization uh, and 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 how we live our lives in the future. Um, but very excited, very excited to be here. You know, right now it's a uh, beautiful 80 degrees here in uh, the middle the middle of the country in the United States in the Midwest. Um, beautiful outside. It couldn't be a better day for, for day one of this show. Um, really couldn't. So what's the structure of the podcast? Well, it's going to be a daily podcast. Um, you know, there's enough things happening in the world today. Uh, there's enough to talk about that is, that's important. 
right to get on the table to have the discussion um, to have a daily show you know whether it's decentralization and education you know what's happening let's look at what's happening today right there's a push uh, to get kids back to school which makes a lot of sense However, we have this thing that's a pandemic that's going on. Um, so, you know, at a high level, and, and we'll dive into this you know, later on, but at a high level, you've got a push to kids to get kids back to school because it's critical that parents get back to work in order to drive the economy. I mean, school, you know, essentially is just a daycare service, right? I mean, for parents, that's what it is. Let's call it what it is. Um, but the schools aren't safe right now. Um, you know, kids are carriers of this disease or this pandemic of this virus, and it just isn't a safe avenue. So what's happening? Uh, people are looking for homeschool options, and you know this will be a trend, right? That continues um, as as we kind of pursue pursue it further and see how see what the results are in 2020. But you know, I'm a firm believer that homeschooling um, will become more the norm or micro schools if you will will become more the norm um, as we look out the next three five ten years so we've got education health care uh, I mean just so many things are changing so fast in the healthcare industry uh, because of COVID um, you know we'll dive into that whether it's politics, I want to talk about politics a little bit later on in this show. Um, you know, technology will be a central core theme of this show. But there's so much to talk about that I think it's important that we have a daily a daily podcast to kind of pause, reflect, and hopefully, you know, have a civilized discourse. Um, that's one of my big frustrations, you know, over the past, let's call it 10 years, is where has the civil, where has the civil discourse gone? Um, I can't find it. I can't find it. And we used to be able to have a conversation with people that held opposing views. And it used to be civilized, right? We may not agree on the root cause we may not agree on the policy we may not agree uh, for you know the same desired outcome but we could at least have a conversation about it uh, without making it personal and have a real debate on the core issues um, to make each other smarter and, and ultimately hopefully get to a better decision and a better outcome right but but that 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 doesn't happen in today's world uh, it's so negative we have so much negativity we have so much just um, you know people that aren't aren't interested in achieving a higher level of discourse they're they're interested in tearing people down so I'm going to be really pushing to increase and heighten the level of discourse so hopefully we can get back to where things were when we could have an intelligent conversation with somebody 
um, that didn't hold the same views and see if we can get to a better outcome. So daily podcast focused on these core themes. We will have interviews uh, with, with individuals that are experts, subject matter experts in these, in these topics, uh, in these fields. Um, and other days it's just gonna be it's just gonna be myself and you know what I'm thinking about what's where do I think the world's headed um, and you know hopefully we'll get some comments and we'll get some feedback from you and we can have again an intelligent intelligent debate and um, reach a level of discourse that's that's worthy of of where we need to go so that's the structure of the show um again super excited about going on this journey and you know a little bit about kind of who i am what i'm about what i represent um i've got a you know let's call it a math finance accounting kind of bend uh background uh, worked for one organization for 10 years coming out of school. So, you know, really understand transportation, logistics, finance, accounting. Um, and I recently transitioned into running uh, my own business, which is a um, hedging uh, currency operation uh and, and again, that's why, you know, currency valuations and things that impact currencies are, you know, very important to me. But, you know, I can't think of a more interesting topic right now than currency valuations. So transition my career uh, to focus primarily on this subject. Um, but, you know, really kind of at core, you know, I'm interested in learning right and trying to get better trying to get smarter trying to understand different perspectives so we can we can have make better decisions and lead that which will lead to better outcomes so i'll share more right as we go on you'll get to know me kind of what makes me tick uh the way that i think um but you know i'm just interested in growing right and i'm hopeful that this podcast will kind of push us all to grow just a little bit more and think about things in a different way um again to you know not only improve the discourse improve the discussion but to to allow us to do some reflection and hopefully um you know grow ourselves um that's the goal anyways you know we'll see we'll see how it works right Topics on my mind today, and you know, there's a few things that I want to cover. So I do want to talk about currencies um, and how they've moved over the past week, and we'll focus both on hard kind of currencies or commodities such as gold or Bitcoin, as well as fiat currencies, uh, dollar, euro, yen. Um, so we'll talk about. We'll talk about all of those. And I think it's important because we're at a very interesting moment where 
the narrative and the education of people um, about currencies is 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 heightening, right? So if I said fiat currency five years ago, people wouldn't know what that means. You know, they wouldn't understand that it's really just paper, right? That's backed by, you know, government, um, and that's it, right? There's there's a trust component to it, but I mean, all it is is paper. There is no underlying asset. Um, to the paper itself. So, you know, I think if you had that discussion today, more people would understand, you know, what that means. So there's progress there. But we're going to talk about the currency valuations for, like I said, the dollar, euro, uh, gold, Bitcoin, and how they've moved over the past week. Uh, also going to talk about the Fed, um, kind of the meeting minutes that they released earlier this week and the impact that they had. You know, what's j Powell thinking? What are they trying to accomplish with the meeting minutes? So we're going to dive into that. Uh, Want to jump into j Powell and kind of what's the message that he's going to have next week when he gives his press conference at um, Jackson Hole? Um, and, you know, kind of what the purpose is, what's the narrative that he's trying to uh, trying to change or trying to, um, let's call it craft right about the overall economy and where it's headed and then another major issue that's kind of happening right now is you know what's happening with the postal service and i think this is really important um, because it intersects with the economy um, who's influencing these decisions at the postal service to reduce mailboxes to change how it operates the timing component of it and you know what's the rationale because i think there's a lot going on here which i think is really important and and i think everybody should understand you know why changes are being made and what the thought process is but also what's the impact and the timing of these changes so want to get into that and then obviously do some closing thoughts uh you know first show very excited very excited um, but uh, I'll have some closing thoughts. So, you know, let's talk about currencies right now since that is going to be a main topic. You know, really over the past week, there hasn't been much movement. You know, the dollar, you know, opened last Friday at around, or the DXY, we'll just call it the DXY, opened right around 93, you know, 22, and it's at 93.3. And, you know, what's fascinating is if you listen to Bloomberg or listen to CNBC, there's this narrative and that you're starting to hear and it's starting to filter out about the dollar potentially losing its reserve currency status. So, you know, back in May, the dollar really, let's call it kind of peaked during this cycle and you know it's been on this steady decline since may and the whispers in the air about the fall of the dollar you know the fed's printing press burr what it means for currency valuations currency debasement um you know you're starting to hear whispers right um it's i mean it's out there once you're aware of it you'll notice it but you're starting to hear these whispers. So the dollar back in May 
you know, was about, you know, the DXY was at, let's call it 100. And now it's at 93.30. So you're talking about a 7%, almost a 7% change in the value of the dollar in a few months. So when people start talking about the dollar losing its reserve currency, you know, it creates a level of anxiety, a level of fear. Um, you know, what does that mean? My purchasing power is, is decreasing. If you own that currency uh, and use that currency in your everyday life, um, but that's where we were and that's where the dialogue and that's, that's where it was trending. Now, is that gonna continue? Is it gonna continue on this decline? Um, I think so. You know, I mean, if you look at what the Fed's doing and if you look at what's happening globally, Central banks and governments are printing fiat currencies and increasing the monetary base at a rate that we haven't seen before. I mean, well, I mean, you could say World War II or World War I, um, but it's at an unbelievable rate. The amount of debt on government and central bank balance sheets, let's just talk central bank balance sheets, is now 50% of global GDP. It's the highest it's ever been. And what does this mean for our purchasing power? Well, I mean, honestly, if you keep printing, then you know, it becomes worth less and less. Like this isn't this isn't rocket science, right? Now, currencies is a game um, of uh, you know relativity, right? So you know, what's the strength of the dollar relative to the euro, to the British pound? You know, all of these things. It's it's a relative game, but there's there there. I'm not sure we can argue that you know central bank printing has no impact on on valuations. Um, I mean, if you look at what's happening in Argentina, Turkey, Lebanon, Zimbabwe, Sudan, uh, it's just an unbelievable amount of printing, and they are going through currency crises. It's happening. It's happening right now. Um, And, you know, it's my belief that ultimately all this printing globally is going to lead to, you know, a cascading event of currency crises for all central banks. You know, I think that's inevitable, especially over the next 10 years. So, you know, this is going to be a central theme. We'll talk about it. Um, but it's it's it's. I mean, to me, it feels inevitable um, that, you know, debasement's only going to continue. And honestly, in a globalized economy where we have large multinational corporations, 
those corporations benefit from a weaker domestic currency because it allows them to export more goods. So in this race for the bottom, which is what we have, I mean, a race to the bottom for currencies, we're going to continue to see debasement. Uh, COVID-19 only accelerated that debasement. Um, but, you know, we'll kind of see what the level is of the future printing press. Um, but the Fed today, you know, or sent the, the federal government's uh, and the Fed Reserve central central bank balance sheet just crossed um, just crossed seven trillion again. So you know that balance sheet's only going up. Um, these things are only going to continue to happen, and you know we'll see what the ramifications are. But we're certainly going to discuss them and what the impacts could be because it's just important. You know, currencies impact everybody, whether you whether you want to believe it or not. Um, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be a major theme of this show. The Euro, um, Euro had a little bit of movement down. It was, you know, 1.18131 at the beginning of, uh, Friday last week, you know, it's down 27 basis points. So a little bit weaker, not much has changed. But you wouldn't know it if you listen to the news on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And again, it comes back to that narrative. Hey, the dollar, the dollar's getting weaker. The dollar's going to lose its reserve currency. The euros handled the pandemic so much more effectively. Therefore, their demand's going to come back stronger than the United States, um, which is going to lead to, you know, capital flows into the eurozone and strengthen. Uh, which you know strengthens the currency, and it's it's this it's this kind of circular motion. But that's that's really the narrative that we've been on. But you know you look at it on a week over week basis, and there's really no movement. Gold, similar, very little movement, and you know the inflation number uh, is starting to pop up which was is a boon for you know hard currencies and hard commodities gold silver bitcoin but you know gold is relatively flat you know it reached an all-time high a couple weeks ago it came back it was you know completely overbought people exited their position um but with with this currency debasement happening in a fiat world you know gold is likely to continue to go up and it's just taking a breather right now. Bitcoin, similar, we were up to 12.4, uh, 12,400. And it's now down to, let's call it 11,750. Well, last week, you know, last Friday, it opened at 11,000, just under 800, 11.8. So very little movement. That's why it's really important to look at these things on a week-to-week -week basis or a month-to-month -month basis because intraday and on a daily, um, there's fluctuations which create a narrative, but it doesn't really, um, I'm not sure if you look at it on a longer time scale if that narrative really holds up, right? You know, one of the things that's, interesting to think about if you do a thought experiment is okay so what happens to the central banks um after the election so trump wins 
he gets reelected. What's going to happen? Uh, well, the Treasury and the Fed and Congress and Trump, they're going to spend money, right? Whether it's on the military, whether it's a, uh, another tax cut, which increases the deficit. Um, I mean, they could continue UBI, right? Uh, if we're not out of the woods in the pandemic. So, I mean, they're going to spend money, right? That's what, I mean, that's what Republicans have done every time they've been in power is they've spent money, um, increased the deficits. You know, Biden gets elected. You know, it's interesting. You have Biden um, supporters and, and people that, you know, work on the transition team. And, you know, they're currently saying, well, hey, the cupboard's bare. There just isn't a lot to work with in terms of um, excess, you know, availability to spend on. I mean, the cupboard's bare, right, as they put it. Well, I mean, the reality is, and, and what we've seen uh, from the COVID pandemic is we can just print money, right? You know, if we need to send, you know, $3 trillion out to prop up the economy and prop up demand, then, you know, we have the tools that are available to do that. Even the economists, you know, Stephanie Kelton, who is a MMTer, you know, she says, hey, the pantry's bare for families. So Congress has the ability to print and spend. And we'll see it. You know, I, I don't I don't see the uh, Biden government being fiscal hawks. I just don't see it now. I mean, if you actually look at the track record, spending and uh, government balance sheets um, have improved under uh, Democratic leadership, but it's it's too delicate right now for them to um, start tightening. I mean, they're going to spend, right? So it doesn't matter who's in who's in power. You know, in this narrative, like I said, that you know the Republicans are you know, much tighter when it comes to spending um, than the Democrats doesn't really hold any water. You know, both parties want to remain in power and to remain in power, you got to spend. So the debasement will continue. You know, and you have this very interesting, you know, on a kind of transition here, but on a uh, related issue is Judy Shelton's nomination for the Fed. Right, so she's a gold bug, wants to move to the gold standard. Um, you have former Fed officials that are writing letters to Congress and to the Senate saying, hey, you cannot, uh, you cannot support this nomination. Um, and it's interesting, right? I mean, I, I think it's important to have you know, different views uh, when it comes to you know, group dynamics. You don't want to. You don't want to fall into groupthink. Um, you want to have people that challenge ideas because ultimately it does lead to better answers. And so I think the case against Judy Shelton um, is, you know, somewhat weak. Hey, is she qualified to be a Fed official, even though she believes in a gold standard versus our current kind of fiat world that's only been around for fifty years? Um, I don't think that should disqualify her. Now, 
it makes me concerned as somebody that believes Bitcoin is a better hard currency or hard commodity or digital gold, right? Compared to actual gold that, you know, Judy Shelton is not going to understand where the future is, is, is headed and where we're going here. But, you know, on a uh, from a perspective, hey, we can't have anybody that believes in hard currencies um, join our little, you know, fiat currency party. You know, I just don't understand that and, and don't accept that as a um, logical rationale to keep her off the nomination. Now, people, and I'm also hearing um, that, well, we should just nominate Judy Shelton because it scares the establishment. Well, what we found and what we've realized, let's call it in the Trump, Trump era, is that was the rationale that got him elected. Well, he, you know, he's different. He's an outsider. He's um, he won't support the establishment. You know, he's gonna he's gonna root out all of the you know the problems in Washington. And but the reality is, is you know, it hasn't gone well. And because somebody is an outsider and it makes the establishment nervous cannot be a justification uh, for supporting that nominee. Now, if they have the credentials to add real value and provide different perspectives, um, but understand the dynamics of what they're going after, then I think that makes sense. But the justification cannot be, well, the establishment is nervous about this nominee, and therefore that's a good thing, so let's just put them in. Can't happen. And I've seen, I've seen that response and that rationale kind of floating out there, and you know, it makes me concerned uh, based on, like I said, based on the 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 Trump view um, and and how that how that was handled and why people voted for Trump um, versus other Republican candidates um, that were out there as well as as well as Hillary. So, you know, Judy Shelton, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think having, again, opposing viewpoints is important. Uh, you know, we're in a fiat experiment, right? So this has only been going on for 50 years. Currencies have been pegged um, to underlying hard assets um, well before 1970. And, you know, let's have, a, let's have a real discussion about what's the right way to set our currencies so the most people can benefit and we don't drive further wealth uh, inequality. So... I don't know if Judy's the answer, but let's at least have an intelligent discussion about her credentials and whether or not she'd be a good fit. Now, this brings me to the FOMC uh, releasing their meeting minutes yesterday, or sorry, two days ago. 
and kind of the reaction in the markets, the reaction from the pundits. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Powell's frustrated with Congress. He's frustrated with Mnuchin. He's frustrated with the president. Over the past few months, Powell, whenever he has the opportunity to speak, has said that, hey, we need additional fiscal stimulus to continue to prop up demand and to help the economy rebound. The Democrats had a bill on the table for three months. And Mnuchin, Congress, waited until two weeks before the end of July to put a bill on the table, $1 trillion, which is a lot of money um, by any measure, to put $1 trillion but they knew that it was a, you know, there was a huge gap between the Democrats' bill of, you know, a $3 trillion stimulus plan versus their one. So, I mean, this was inevitable, but, fat, but Powell, he's done waiting around, right? Um, because it's almost, it's almost like Congress believes that Powell is going to continue to do everything that he is required to do to keep the economy propped up. So therefore, Congress doesn't need uh, to provide any action. I mean, in fact, they've gone on recess. They're on vacation. So the meeting minutes come out and Powell essentially says, well, we may or may not provide more, you know, ammo, right? We may or may not move forward and be an accommodative. We may or may not add to our balance sheet. We may or may not do quantitative easing. Um, and you know, the result of those meeting minutes was an immediate increase uh, in the dollar. I mean, it was almost, you know, within minutes, right, dollar strengthened. Um, and the market, the stock market dropped <laughs> almost immediately. Um, and I think Powell's stating to Congress and Mnuchin, it's like, hey, guys, you got to you got to put something together here because we can't do it all on our own. I mean, the lack of support from Congress, knowing that the fiscal stimulus ran out at the end of July, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so, you know, Powell was really trying to change a couple things. One, like I said, he was trying to get Congress to move, right? And they'll move. Um, we got the election coming up. Trump is feeling the heat. The market is starting to slow down. Uh, unemployment um, continues to be a problem. Initial claims, uh, which was released yesterday, went back up over 1 million. So 
things aren't moving as quickly in the right direction as they were. I mean, the, the train is starting to slow down. So we know that Congress is going to act, but they're not going to act for a couple weeks. They're on vacation. So, you know, Powell saying, hey, guys, you need to do something um, because we're not going to continue to, you know, kind of head down this path alone. So he puts out a wishy-washy statement or meeting minutes, excuse me. And his other goal, in my opinion, was to shift the narrative on the dollar. Now, the dollar is up. It was at 92, I think it was at 92.2, and it's at 93.3. So in the past few days, I mean, it's increased a, a percentage point, which is significant in the currency world. So he's he's shifting that narrative with, you know, and he, he fully understands what's going to happen next, you know. Congress is going to approve, let's call it a $1.5 trillion package for fiscal stimulus. The Fed's going to continue to do quantitative easing for the next 10, 15 years. I mean, it's just inevitable, right? We did it from 2000 and what, 2009, 2010. We stopped for a brief period. Um, and what happened when we stopped? What happened when we started to do quantitative tightening? Well, it had a negative impact on the stock market, right? Um, so we stopped it. We said, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. Uh, we can't tighten. We got to have a accommodative stance. So they're going to continue to do QE. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable. We tried to increase interest rates, but whoa, 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 that, that, that put a, uh, that put a top on the stock market. So we immediately started to decrease interest rates whenever the stock market ran into any issue. I mean, that's one of the things that was fascinating to me. And it was the first time I've ever read the FOMC minutes, um, you know, shame on me, but a significant portion of it was about the stock market. Well, the stock market isn't the underlying economy. So why is Powell focused purely on the stock market? Well, it's because that's what gets people elected. So Trump's put a tremendous amount of pressure on Powell. And I mean, honestly, the Fed really isn't even independent anymore. Um, so the FOMC, they're focused on the market. Keeping that thing propped up. And they have to keep it propped up. Because the pensions are underfunded. And we'll get into this. We'll get into this later. But they needed to change the narrative on the dollar. And so that's what Powell was that's what Powell was trying to do. And so far it's worked, right? The dollar, the DXY has increased a whole percentage point in the past few days. And you know, those 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 rumblings that we were hearing about the dollar losing its reserve currency status, um, those are dissipating. So those media minutes were, I think, successful. Um, if those were the narratives that Powell was trying to change and alter and influence, which I think it was, you know, I think we'll get another dose of it next week when he speaks at Jackson Hole. Again, he's going to be pushing Congress to move. I mean, honestly, it's a dereliction of duty and their responsibility that they let these uh, let their fiscal policy and the stimulus package um, run out without renewing it. Um, but that's what they did. But Powell's going to be on on his stump 
next week, uh, pushing Congress to make a decision and to make a move. And he's going to talk about how the economy is slowing down. It's going to require further accommodative action from the Fed. Right? So the Fed's responsible for targeting a 2% inflation rate. And they're responsible for unemployment and driving that unemployment number as low as they can. So until they hit those targets, until they hit those targets, it is going to be accommodative, accommodative, accommodative. But he doesn't want to be in the rowboat alone. Uh, he needs Congress to help him uh, continue to prop up the economy and prop up demand. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to diving in and, and having this discussion next week after after uh, Powell's conference. It's going to be fascinating. Um, but I believe these are going to be the central themes and the central narratives that he's going to try to control and influence uh, to get things done that he thinks are important. And then the last main topic that I'm really interested in today that I want to that I want to discuss is the USPS, so the U.S. Postal Service. So right now, right now, the Postmaster General he's he's uh, testifying in front of Congress about the recent decisions that he made and directed to remove um, mailboxes uh, across several cities, uh, to remove mail sorting uh, equipment across several cities and you know the reason is hey this this is a uh, this is a group the US Postal Service that doesn't make any money in fact it loses you know billions of dollars a year and we can't have a uh, part of the government that's losing money so we've got to get rid of these expenses uh, this equipment uh, to make it profitable and make it run more efficiently. So that sounds great. In fact, I think I agree with it, right? And it comes back to the currency discussion and making sure we make sound economic decisions. If we had a cap on how much currency one could create and inject into a system, then we'd be a lot more diligent about how we spend our money, right? Um, so I don't have an issue with that line of reasoning. I don't. I think ultimately it allows us to make better decisions. You know, people make better decisions when they're under constraints and they're forced to optimize. So fine, let's make the post service, uh, postal service uh, more efficient. However, doing that 80 days before an election cycle um, where the president of the United States is already saying there's gonna be mail fraud who said the results of the previous election are under question and 80 days before the next election you start removing mailboxes and mail sorting machines uh it just doesn't it just doesn't feel right am i wrong 
It just doesn't feel right. Doesn't look good. We couldn't wait until February 1 to implement a streamlined and efficient approach to the postal service. We had to do it today. We had to do it last week. We had to do it now. I don't understand it. I can't understand that reasoning that we had to do it today because it's an inefficient system. Now, does it need to be fixed, perhaps? Let's look at all government programs. Let's look at all programs and make sure that they're spending dollars and the currency the most effectively and efficiently as possible, right? 100% agree with that. But we had to start removing machines last week. Trump's been claiming mail and voter fraud since he was elected. They did nothing for three and three quarters years, you know, 3.75 years. They did zero on this. And now, all of a sudden, it has to be done today? It boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it looks like they're going to stop making any other kind of further equipment moves. They're not going to remove any more mailboxes, but looks like the postmaster is pushing back on uh, adding the mailboxes back that they already removed, adding the sorting machines back. Um, you know, the damage is done, right? The damage is done. And we're going to continue to hear mail fraud, even though there's really no evidence that this even exists. Um, we're gonna continue to hear it through the election cycle and probably through the end of the year. But again, I think the premise is sound. We need to look at our programs, make sure they are efficient. If we treat programs like we have a cap on the currency that we have to spend, then we'll focus on the opportunities that add the most value, right? We just will doesn't matter if it's the US Postal Service, it doesn't matter if it's the military, it doesn't matter if it's McDonald's, right? We need to allocate capital in the most effective and efficient manner possible under the idea that there's a limit to the amount of capital that we have to allocate. If we can just go to the printing press every single time and we need an extra, you know, thousand bucks, extra million dollars, billion, trillion, then it doesn't matter how you allocate capital and you're gonna have waste, right? You just will. So, I think, again, I think 
I think what they're trying to accomplish, if it's truly about making the Postal Service more efficient, more effective, then that's something that I'll listen to, something that I can buy, something that I can get behind. But when you do it 80 days before an election, that is probably the most important election um, maybe ever in the United States in terms of its democracy, then it just doesn't just doesn't feel right. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So we'll see what comes out of uh, we'll we'll see what comes out of the testimony today. Uh, I have a feeling that those mailboxes and those sorting machines are going to be added back before the election, but. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. And that's what I have for today, guys. Um, Again, very excited about the podcast. Very excited to go on this journey with you all. Hopefully, um, you learned something. I can learn something from you. Uh, We can see where this goes. Uh, Very... um, appreciative and uh, grateful for the opportunity to do this so hope hopefully you all learn something and until next time on the joe moran show let's keep our ear to the grindstone